Yo, what's up? It's TJ Zuppi. It's Zach Meisel. It's you, and it's the Selby's Godcast. What's up, brother? Uh, not much. Um, well, great, fantastic. I'm glad that we've started this conversation <laughs> off in such a thrilling, no, you thrilling manner. These, you listed all these people, and I, I missed my name in there. And then I was like, "Am I the you? Am I?" And now I was confused for a second. No, you're included. You are part of the podcast. Although the Cleveland Indians think this podcast is something else, something entirely different. Yeah, I, I didn't know if they were complimenting this podcast and Andre Knott's podcast <laughs> or if they were they thought you were Andre, if they meant to tag Zach Jackson instead of me. But that would be weird because that's more of a Browns podcast. It was strange. I can assure you that it is still... Zach Meisel, that's you. TJ Zuppi, that's me. And we're still here doing this weekly podcast. We want to thank all of our sponsors that bring it, uh, bring this to you every single week. As I mentioned last week, we're not through uh, a website here. We're not backed by anybody other than uh, the little bit of uh, advertisers that we get through Anchor and you guys that listen every single week and demand it every single week. And before we go any further, I want to give a shout out to Chip who recently decided that he was crazy enough to support the podcast on a monthly basis over on Anchor. So thank you, Chip. Uh, round of applause to you. And if you would also like to support the podcast, uh, there are many ways you can do that. But one of them is to go over to Anchor, find us on our Anchor page, which we tweet out. And there's a support the podcast link over on Anchor. And you can do that monetarily. And Chip... You were the first one to hop in and say, I, got, I, I have to have more Selby as Godcast, and I have to make sure that it's coming every single week. And so, therefore, I'm zany enough to actually support you guys. So, thank you, Chip. And don't forget the five-star review for a beer policy. That is still in effect, correct? Well, it was your policy. I would imagine that you would know whether it's still in effect. Yeah, but you're like our secretary of the treasury so oh, okay thanks is that a upgrade downgrade i don't know how to feel about that well now that andre is my partner on the podcast you're <laughs> you it's a downgrade i guess uh well i mean you and andre have had plenty to uh discuss from a positive standpoint down the yeah, ballpark well, here recently listen, we could never do a podcast because it's just we spend so much time around each other it's just constant like pitching so uh yeah it wouldn't this is nice and refreshing and you always straighten out my ridiculous thoughts so well i'm anyway. happy to do that Thank but you. the the baseball team that we are tasked with talking about has made it a little easier to feel not so negative don't you think i mean last time we convened and did this podcast you and i both came from more of a i thought we were from a realistic point of view but i think it's possible that you could have seen it from a half glass empty pessimistic point of view yeah uh and i wouldn't argue with anybody that felt that way but the indians now have another terrific week uh maybe you would feel even better if somehow they found a way to take three or four from texas but to come back from detroit and texas with a five and two record over that stretch uh and to be returning home to now play detroit at Progressive Field as we record this on Thursday night. Uh, I, I would say that 
I certainly am looking through a little bit more of a glass half half <laughs> lens at this point than I was maybe at this point last week. Is that fair to say that you're feeling a little bit more positive compared to where you're at? Yeah, I kind of want to clarify because I, I agree with you. I think I, I I don't blame anyone if they took – and I didn't go back and listen to the podcast. Um, wow. Yeah, I usually do. I just – I didn't on this one because I, I – I think I probably came off more negative than I meant to. And I think there are so many things you have to like put into context when you talk about this team. Like if we praise the team in its current standing and we talk about how, you know, if you just look at the record, if Minnesota wasn't just playing out of their minds for the first couple months, you know, it would just be like, well, hey, it's it's an AL Central race and, you know, may the best team win. And you can't say that without also saying, like, it was still a failure of an offseason. Like, they – ownership should not be absolved of any blame here. And, and the front office has swung and missed a bunch of times. And, like, like there have still been issues leading up to this. But I think we can also acknowledge that if the Twins weren't playing as incredibly as the Twins have been playing, like, I think we would be thinking about this season quite differently. However, as things stand, um, the main thing I want to clarify is that, no, it's not like, like, I, like, I think I accidentally said they can play super baseball here over the next month and it's not going to change anything because they're not going to catch the twins and they're just going to sell. And it's like a lot of people want to just say you either have to buy or sell. You have to push all in and trade your farm system for immediate help and go for a World Series title or you have to tear it down to the studs and come back in five years. And it's, this is no matter what happens over the next month, the Indians are not going to find themselves on either end of that spectrum. What I think is going to happen is regardless of how they play over the next few weeks, I would say odds are they trade Trevor Bauer and they trade him for pieces that can help at least one hitting piece that can help now. And I think no matter what they do over the next few weeks, the, the moves they make are going to be tailored just as much, if not more, toward 2020 and 2021 as they are for 2019. And that's not to say they're just giving up. It's just they don't have – they're not in position to mortgage the farm, um, especially if, if they're still eight, nine games back of Minnesota. And they're also not in position – like they're not going to trade Francisco Lindor here. They're not going to trade – Bieber, Clevenger, Jose Ramirez. So, like, it's – I think they're going to trade Bauer. I think they might trade Hand, but I don't know. And I think if they win – if they keep up this pace of play that they've had the last few weeks, the only changes their performance can have is maybe they just deal a crappy prospect for a rental bat. Like, I think they could do that. And I think maybe if they're 12 back in the division and a few back in the wild card, maybe they don't do that. So I think that's I think it's it's encouraging to see them play better. It's encouraging to see Jake Bowers turn it around after I uh, called him out last podcast. <laughs> it's it's encouraging to see Kipnis swing it better. It's encouraging to see Zach Plesak come on strong and um, the bullpen for the most part still being reliable. And, like those things are great. Minnesota's still playing well and they haven't really been able to carve into this deficit. And I just think because of the way things have gone and, and because of how the team feels about 
the next few seasons, I don't think this stretch of baseball has drastically changed the front office's plan or the outlook toward the season. So I, hopefully that clears it up more. I feel like I'm talking in circles, but maybe that makes some sense. No, it, it does. But you're right that the the front office is not going to take a a closed-minded uh, point of view where they're looking at something over the, a stretch of a few-week period and make some determination. They're, they're not going to do that. They've proven that that's not the way that they operate. They very rarely, if ever, make a decision based on something uh, quick. It's usually thought out and oftentimes take takes longer than many people would like it to to uh, to actually shake out. Uh, all of that said, I still believe what I said last week in in that there are scenarios where I'm putting myself in a position of, of uh, an Indians front office member. There are still scenarios out there where no matter what the Indians are doing before the, the trade dead, deadline at the end of July, there are still scenarios where I would trade Trevor Bauer and I would trade Brad Hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and to be honest, that probably stretches to almost anybody on the roster and maybe, maybe even Francisco Linder, I'll throw him in there. But the reason being that I'm thinking that way is that I'm, I'm thinking of the angels giving you Mike Trout, which isn't going to happen. So I guess that's not really a likely scenario. Uh, all of that said, nothing has changed for me, even based on the way they played recently. And I think there are some, some of the signs have been encouraging, you have to, uh, as a fan, appreciate what Oscar Mercado has done since he's been called up. And sure, it's amazing. Early this year, when the offense was struggling, and it was one, sometimes two guys doing anything, and that was basically it. I mean, that's not going to be enough over really any stretch, but over a prolonged stretch, absolutely. You need to to actually have success. You'd like to have a guy hot in every third of your lineup is kind of a way to think of it uh, or to have at least three to four guys that are, are performing well. And right now they have three to four guys that are performing well. And that's why the offense has been better. And Mercado is kind of right in the middle of it. Uh, ideally he wouldn't be hitting second for a team that, that still positions itself and thinks of itself as a contender, but uh, he has done everything he could have asked and a hell of a lot more. I never thought he was going to be even this good offensively when he first got the call. So props to him. Um, and he certainly has helped transform some of that lineup. Uh, the fact that Santana continues to do what he, he has done throughout this year has been a godsend to the offense. He better be an all-star. Yeah, I mean, he has certainly earned it, no doubt. Uh, and you've got Lindor doing what he has done. Um, he's pretty much been patented what you think of Francisco Lindor. He, he, that performance has been on par with what you'd expect since he's come back. And then you're getting something occasionally from the bottom of the lineup because Roberto Perez is making also claim of his own to be an all-star. Homer and Derby? Which is incredible, uh, the way that he's swung the bat and contributed a lot of power. I mean, what he's done this year is kind of what, for many years, we all said would be the perfect scenario, that he is uh, a top-five defensive catcher. And depending on you know what metric you're looking at, I think you would say that that's true in baseball. And some have even said he's been the best defender in the American league this year. Um, and then to occasionally get a hold of one in the, in the bottom of the lineup and get on base at a, you know, a, not a significant clip, but at least a healthy one. And he has done pretty much all of those things. He's checked all of those boxes so far this year and provided more power than I even thought that he would provide. 
so all of that is great. That's the reason why the offense has been a little bit better recently. And I think some of that is sustainable. I, 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 even as bad as they were in the beginning of the season, I just didn't think it, that could ever just continue at that level. It had to get better, just even accidentally get better. Just by some form of aggression, it had to get better. But there are still some things about this lineup that are hard to watch. You know, Leonis Martin, what he has done, and this coming from someone that came into the year uh, touting his pra- you know, praising him and, and saying that I thought that he could be a guy that was an above-average offense, offensive performer, especially against right-handed pitching. That hasn't held true, and uh, I'm ready to say I'm wrong about that. And I don't think uh, at this point he should be getting – Played appearances, and I see a guy like Bobby Bradley doing what he's doing down in AAA, and I'm thinking, wow, what would that look like in this lineup? That, that would be <laughs> – that would certainly be better than what Leonis Martin has brought. And I think that's that's an interesting question all to its own. So let's let's address that. Bobby Bradley with what he continues to do, just mashing a AAA. Um, I'm trying to be pretty realistic about that, but I also feel like in being realistic, considering what he has done, I'm also going to come off looking pessimistic, kind of like last week. So where are you at on Bobby Bradley? Yeah, I don't think he's going to be an all-star. Um, I, I I don't think I would be staunchly advocating for his promotion if he was taking at-bats away from someone who mattered in the lineup right now. And when it's as simple as sliding Mercado over to center and putting Bowers in left – and then putting Bradley at DH or first base on occasion, it's a no-brainer to me. I mean, Leonis Martins not – even if he played well down the stretch, he's not a part of this team's future. And he's got a negative war. He's been atrocious against left-handed pitching. Bobby Bradley's actually been good against lefties this year. Um, I don't know if that will translate. His strikeout rate is terrifying. Um, but also – he walks an okay amount, and he hits so many home runs that, like, you know, if if, if he strikes out 35% of the time at the majors, like, who cares as long as he's hitting for power? Like, that's better than what you have right now. You ran Bradley Zimmer out there for a year and a half, and he was running close to a 40% strikeout rate. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's worth it because he's, he's, he's the best option if you're just comparing him and Leonis Martin. Um, I don't expect him to set the world on fire but I, i'd like to see it and and this lineup yeah their slugging percentage over the last few weeks has been great i think they they were leading the majors in home runs in the month of june entering thursday's games but by and large this team doesn't really have legitimate power threats i mean jason kipnis has been freaking hitting cleanup most of the time so it would be a nice addition to the lineup just to give them something they don't really have and that's a guy who could hit one out in any at bat and you know you hit him sixth or something I would think that's what Francona would do it seems like a no-brainer and at least just give him a like see what he's got no you know I I know what Leonis Martin is at this point he's an awesome guy in the clubhouse he's really funny really nice um He's made a lot of mistakes this year, and I think it's just time to move on. Yeah, and I know it extends beyond some some will point to um, whatever their conversation was with Francisco Lindor today. Point to that and be like, well, that, that could be the last straw for sending him on his way. I don't think that would be the case. 
Uh, it would no, be... and even even if that is the move, it's not because of that. No, of course not. Um, it's be- it's because they feel like who they were replacing him with would contribute more to the overall palette. Um, I f- and I feel like Bradley. This is a, a case where two things can be true at once. I think he has absolutely earned the call up um, with the way that he's played, the way he's swung the bat. I know he's been talked about for a long time. It's easy to forget he still is pretty young, uh, even for being a triple-A, pretty young for the level. So that, that in itself is encouraging. I've seen the, the, the comparisons while some, it's, some will say, well, Joey Gallo can thrive doing what he's doing in the majors. Well, I don't think Bobby Bradley is Joey Gallo. I don't think he's going to hit the ball as ridiculously hard as Joey Gallo does. Um, and we just didn't see consistently the same sort of power that we saw uh, in Gallo's earlier career than we Gallo, are seeing from, from Bobby Bradley. And Gallo's also been playing center field. Like <laughs> yeah, there's immense value sure. in that too. Yeah, absolutely. A very athletic guy. And that's not to say Bradley isn't, but uh, obviously you're looking at him more as a first baseman uh, DH slugging type compared to Gallo who can help in, in multiple spots. And has, as you said, played some center field uh, as crazy as that is. Um, and then, the other thing with that comparison is, you know, Gallo is doing it being the best at doing a lot of those things. And I don't think Bobby Bradley is, is close to a lot of those sorts of things, but he has to come up here and he has to hit for a ton of power to, to really be an impact type bat. And I'm not sure that that's him. I think that's unfair to expect him to be that. I I don't even know that it's fair to label him uh, based on what we've seen from other past projections. And I've seen everyone try, you know, from Russell Branion to, all the way up to Gallo. But here's where that second part of it can be true. I I don't expect him to come up here and set the world on fire. He's not going to save the offense. He's not going to help you chase down the twins more than likely, but that doesn't mean that he is not one of could, could not be one of the best nine guys that you could put in the lineup on a pretty much everyday basis. And that he hasn't earned the opportunity to at least see what he can do uh, to show what he is because he is not any of those guys. He's his own guy. He is his, has his own profile. And you can look at what other guys have done with similar profiles in the minors and try to map that out. But that that's no guarantee that's going to be what, what Bobby Bradley is. I mean, hell, he's made significant strides this year, right? And he's not the same hitter he was last year. So I'm not going to rule out him to uh, continue to improve and do that at the major league level and to make adjustments and to deal with failure and all those sorts of things he's kind of had to deal with here recently. So I don't expect him to come up here and post a 140 WRC plus. Uh, I do think he could be above average. And at that point uh, he's certainly better than what you've gotten when, as you said, you've already got the replacement to plug in the center field uh, and give Bradley some at bats. Well, whether it's DHing or, or first base, I think it's just such an easy move. Uh, and considering where this team is at and sort of being in this weird transitional state with some young guys trying to come up and, and, and prove what they can be. And I just feel like the time could not be any better to make that happen where they're at the standings, the, the jolt it could bring to the offense. And just for my own curiosity's sake, I think all of those things kind of line up and why I want it to happen. Well, in the eighth inning on Thursday, you had Leonis Martin and his 470 OPS against lefties facing a lefty in Mike Miner, who is one of the best ERAs in the American League. That's not ideal. In the ninth inning, you had Mike freaking Freeman pinch hitting for Kevin Ploiecki, 
I know Roberto Perez has been banged up a little bit lately, so Ploiecki's gotten a little bit more action. There's no reason why Freeman should have been pitch hitting there instead of Perez. You were down two, you had a tying run at the plate, and you went to the guy who you knew wouldn't hit a home run. That's what the Yankees thought. Yeah, well, okay. It, what is it, like his third in his career? I mean, the dude's like a career 170 hitter. But anyway, but like, just look at the bench options on this team are pitiful, mm. uh, especially on a day when, you know, even if, if Bobby Bradley's in the starting lineup, at least you're pushing someone to the bench, whether it's Naquin or um, Bowers or just, just someone give you a better bench option. So, uh, or, or someone you don't need to pinch hit for against a lefty or a righty because he could always hit one out. So it's just, it, it's bad. And it's why, like, this lineup is weird. Like, they're, they've been fantastic the last few weeks. But there's, you look at that batting order every night, it's like, it still looks ugly, right? Yeah. I mean, you've got right. Kipnis hitting fourth some days and Ploiecki hitting seventh or Naquin hitting fourth. It's just well, not I mean, the, ideal. The, the other thing, Zach, is to come bring this back to Mercado, he, he has been fantastic. Are we just going to say that that's what you expect from Oscar Mercado for the rest of the year? That, no. That, that he's not going to come back to earth like most rookies do, that he's not going to have to go through an adjustment period and prove that he can make the adjustments off the adjustment, that, that he is just going to be an above average bat and somehow find a way to hit 315 the rest of the year. I think those are pretty unfair expectations to put on the kid. But well, yet, there's... he is he is one of the the keys to holding this offense together right now. And I don't know that that's going to continue or, or even, you know, for as much as we are saying nice things about Roberto Perez, I, I don't know that that's going to continue. And right now, the only thing that's holding the offense together is the four guys that are kind of doing what they're doing are contributing that on a nightly basis. What What's if, the name? What, what if Santana slides? What if Lindor slides a bit? I mean, all these things happen throughout the course of a year. What's the name of their third baseman again? Remind uh, me. Who's the guy? Jack Hanahan? No. Is it Casey Blake? No. no. Aaron Boone? No, no, no. Did see Travis Fryman around the facility over the past few years. So is it still Travis Fryman? I actually saw Travis Fryman a couple weeks ago. He uh, was it was actually really awkward because he was making like a personal call in this little what would you call it like a vestibule maybe? Looks like the you know when you walk into a building and it's like you open the doors and it's just like a little room and then yeah. you have to open the next door to get to the yeah, hold on. lobby I'm, of the place. I'm, I'm Googling vestibule right now. I'm just thinking of the Friends episode where Chandler gets stuck in an ATM vestibule with Jill Goodacre. All right. You don't get that reference, no. though, because you're lame. Um, yeah, so I, I needed to get – it was pouring rain, of course, because it's 2019. So I had to get out of the rain and I go into this – vestibule i guess that word sounds so weird and travis Fryman was making like a personal phone call and it was really awkward because i couldn't go in through the next set of doors yet because i was waiting for someone to let me in and so i'm just standing there like trying not to listen in on this conversation but i didn't really have a choice and finally he just got out of there i think he did not like me unintentionally can't imagine can't imagine uh, why but yeah uh the the solution would be if mercado gets cold if roberto perez gets cold santana You'd have the damn third baseman, Jose Ramirez, finally hitting a little bit better than 204 with like a 595 OPS. I mean, it, it's he shows glimpses, 
maybe once or twice a week, and then you think he's turning it around, and it's just then he goes over eight and looks lost. And like I don't know what the metrics say about his pop up rate, but my God, if he rolls over another off speed pitch and just shoots it to second base, like, oh, it's just it's agonizing to watch because you see him take a swing like he did the other night when he hits it in the upper deck, and you're like, well, why is that not happening more often? Right. If if you can do that once, then can't just you do, do that, that. More, yeah. more than once? Uh, and everybody has a theory whether, you know, last year we talked about what he did against fastballs and how that dropped off. And then there was a theory about getting less, fewer fastballs and then fewer fastballs in the zone. And then he got out of whack with the breaking ball. And this year it's oh, we, on the broadcast. Oh, he's pulling the ball too much. No, just kidding. He's not pulling the ball enough. And then you know, people are looking at his where he's sitting on the plate, maybe he's too close to the plate. Maybe he needs to back off. Maybe he needs to get closer. Maybe I mean, everybody has tried to remedy this, and re- really with no no end in sight, no answers in sight. It has been uh, beyond perplexing, and it's gotten to the point where, I mean, there has been a long period where it's just like, all right, he's going to figure it out at some point. He's too good not to get this figured out. So you don't go three years of doing what he's doing by accident, and then somehow you're bad. It just doesn't happen like that unless you're Carlos Bayerga. Um, but I, I, who I mean, spends a lot of time around Jose Ramirez? <laughs> to be fair, it's gotten to the point where I'm not saying that it's not going to happen because I think it's foolish to to just declare that that it's that he's that somehow he's just bad now and is going to be bad forever. I, I don't think that's true, but I'm to the point where I'm beyond expecting that it's going to happen. That I that you know tonight's the night, or this is going to be it, or this ball under the upper deck is that's going to be the 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 thing that turns him around. I I am beyond expecting that to happen. And even uh, to your point about the pop ups, he is like dead even with where he was at last year on the infield pop ups. Thirteen percent last year, twelve point seven percent this year. But it has felt. Huh. I mean, it is. <laughs> it feels like every other at bat is a pop up for him, uh, and there, there's just such weak contact it seems like more often than not and some of the metrics still say hey maybe this is going to get better maybe this is going to get turned around or at least improved beyond where it's at now but i i i need to see it at this point i i'm i'm beyond trying to look for signs of it just either do it or don't do it shit or get off the pot at this point because <laughs> i i'm beyond trying to figure out any answers yeah and and it's reached the point like we can't I've asked Tito, I've asked Ty Van Berkeley so many times, and it's like, it's always really difficult for me to evaluate hitting coaches. I know we've talked about this. I don't know if Van Berkeley and Victor Rodriguez are good at their jobs. I don't know if they deserve to to lose their jobs early in the season when, when the offense was really struggling. You never know exactly how much of that is on the hitters, how much is on the coaching, how much is just... Right. This is I the mean, talent you have. I mean, but, are we are we to say that that they get no credit for when he was doing well, but they get right, all the blame when right. he's not doing well? And no one's been weird. calling for Van Berkeley's head the last three weeks. Um, but that, that that's that's the nature of the job. That's the nature of fans being fans. It's I, I get it. It's fine. Um, I've just always been like, I'm not going to write an article with the headline saying Ty Van Berkeley needs to be fired because I have no way of factually supporting that. Um, so anyway, point is. I actually feel bad for these guys in this situation because I, I, I mean, we've all had examples in our life of when 
something is not right. Um, and you just, you work tirelessly to try to fix it and everything you do, it doesn't, doesn't solve the problem. And you just reach that point of exasperation where you're like, throw your hands up and you're like, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what to do. Like, and I'm sure they've reached that point. Um, they would never say that they would never, not that they're giving up on a player, but like they have had to have tried everything by now. Right. And like, what do you do? You reach a point where you, you tinker too much and it just makes things worse. So, so trying to balance all that and, and keep his confidence up. And it's just, whew, I do not envy those guys and I'm sure they're losing sleep over it and they've watched more video than they ever wanted to. And yeah, I thought, I thought Ty Van Perkleo's comments to you a few weeks ago proved that. And when he was so emphatic about, I haven't changed anything. It sounded like a guy that is like grasping at all sorts of different things to try to get this turned around. And he's verbalizing that out loud to still remain and sound confident. But um, it doesn't sound that way when it's actually said or read aloud. And it's, I mean, it, it, it's just, it, is, it has been absolutely mind boggling. I mean, I know exit exit velocity is not the end all be all for a hitter. Um, but it's not, it's not like he is down three miles per hour or something noticeable. He's right in line almost with where he's bat when he, where he's been at the last three or four years. The best thing you can look at is like, look at some of the stat cast numbers about his expected batting average, according to stat cast should be around 244. And it's like, well, that's 44 points. That's a huge gap. He should be having better luck than what he's had. But then you actually think about it and go, but 244 kind of sucks. You know, expected slugging should be right around 400. The expected Woba is at 320, which is above average. So he should be an above average hitter overall, but that's still well off of where he's been at the last two years. That, again, is 40 points different. So it's it's like part of it is bad luck, but that certainly doesn't explain everything. The contact, yeah, the contact also, hasn't though, been as good. Obviously, the launch angle is higher. There's just so much you dig through, and no matter what you pick, you, you find one thing that makes you feel better and about three things that make you feel worse. Some of that, though, like, if he was hitting 244 with, what was it, 400 slugging? Yeah, with a 400 slugging. You'd still fear him more than you are right now. Sure. If you're a pitcher. And then, I don't know. I think it's like a snowball. I mean, I, he developed such a reputation that pitchers clearly did a 180 on what they've been doing. And, I mean, we saw his walk rate increase a ton from year to year. And it's like, like you just, it's so much easier to go from good to great than it is to go from horrendous to average, I think. Um so what about going from great to horrendous? <laughs> that that's just inexplicable. It's just it's know. so weird. He's and it's not he's not striking out a ton. It's a little bit up from past years, but fourteen percent is not ho- horrendously horrible. It's awesome in today's game. He's he's got an eleven percent walk rate, which is not the fifteen percent that he held last year, but it's better than every other year in his career. Like he still does some things and you know, he's stealing bases. He still makes a difference on the base paths. So it's not, he's, he's not completely worthless. My God. I, I, I know I get asked this like at every family function, what's wrong with Jose Ramirez? 
well, how long do you have, uncle? <laughs> like, what, what do you think we're going to get to the bottom of that everyone else hasn't tried to figure out at some point? And that's what it's, it's scary, but it's also to the point where you just throw your hands up and it's like, whatever the Lord ex- <laughs> wills to happen is going to happen with this guy. Because I don't know, I mean, who is going to find some magic formula for him to turn it around? It's just either going to happen or it's not going to happen. And you're not going to not play the guy. It's, it's like what I used to feel about Edwin Encarnacion. You get off to a slow start and everyone would start panicking. And it's like, well, what are you, you're paying him. And he's been good in the past. So instead of freaking out about it, just, you're just going to leave him in the lineup. And whatever happens, happens at this point. It's kind of where I'm at with him. You're not going to bench him. You're not going to not play him because we've seen what he can become. But I'm beyond the point of expecting that it's going to happen at any time. I think a lot of it's mental. I think a lot of it is tinkering, over-tinkering, overcompensating, caring too much about what pitchers and defenses are doing. I mean, he's being shifted every time. And I and we saw it from opening day when he – you know, they had four outfielders. They had their infield swung all the way to, to one side, and he tried like hell to, to beat the shift with a bunt. And it just seems like it's been going downhill ever since then. And he's, instead of being that guy who has the cocky swagger and that strut and basically just walked up to the plate knowing he was going to conquer the, the opposing pitcher and there was nothing they could do about it, now he, it, it seems like he's so concerned with how he's being approached that it's completely dislodged him from his his normal disposition, which was that, that's what he was all about. I mean, when he came up to the plate, it, it didn't matter the situation, didn't matter if it was a lefty or a righty, didn't matter, you know you. He was the one guy you rely on the most and you'd feel yeah. most confident about. And now he just seems like a shell of himself from that standpoint. Um, you know, it was interesting. There there was one game in Detroit. I think he had two hits. Maybe it was a Saturday. And it was the first time all year where, like, he was chirping in the clubhouse. He was looking at reporters, smacking Hoinsey on the back of his head. Um, we were talking to Santana, and he kept shouting Santana's name. He hasn't done that all year. I, I think he's been frustrated. I think he's been confused, perplexed. Um, I, I'm sure it's not necessarily depressing, but like just completely detracts from your everyday life, and, and you wake up angry and agonized and I, I i'm sure you know that that probably also doesn't help you when you go to the plate mm-hmm. you're probably gripping the bat a little tighter and you're probably seething and you you want to hit the ball harder which is usually probably uh, like everyone wants to hit the ball harder but when you're focusing on that when you step up to the plate and you want to just bruise the baseball it probably doesn't help your approach so i think it's just like honestly i think I think he needs to take the all-star break and go lay on a beach somewhere and just forget about baseball for four days and then come back and start fresh. Uh, Cause I, I think yeah. it, it is tough. Like you said, like I, I was wondering if maybe they should just rest him for two or three days, just make him watch from the dugout and, and not even have a chance to pinch hit or anything. And uh, Tito has said he doesn't want to do that. He gave him one day off. 
And then, like you said, like, you never know when he's going to come back in the line. Like, you don't want to miss out on when he is going to get hot. And I, I think that's the tough part here, especially since it's not like this lineup is stacked where no. one guy needs a break. It's okay. All right, Zach, we'll continue the conversation on Jose after a short word from our sponsor. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's beyond perplexing. The, the guy that just crushed fastballs last year is hitting below 200 against them this year. He's got a 337 slugging against fastballs. I mean, this is a guy, his slugging last year was the sign of the beast, 666 against fastballs last year. Well, there's the issue. Um, and it's not like he's he, he has actually this year seen more fastballs compared to last year and seen more fastballs in the zone compared to last year. It's I don't even think, I mean, you and I sitting here, we could talk about this for 10 hours. What will we solve? Nothing. Nothing that hasn't been considered or talked about before, but it is just maddening to try to figure out something to grab onto and to feel better about. I don't know. Um, but maybe, maybe that, maybe the all-star break will do him some good. Uh, maybe a, he was maybe supposed the, to be the home run derby, the hometown hero. The yeah, it doesn't look like oh, it's going to happen. Man. Instead, you're going to get uh, Carlos Jordan Luplo. Uh, trying, I was trying to think the other day. Carlos Santana absolutely deserves to be uh, in the All Star game. Uh, is Frankie? Do you think by the time we get to the All Star yeah. game, he's he's well, going to so... be on the roster? I mean, his his numbers. I know he doesn't have the the length of time that other guys have had, but his numbers look still really good. It's not like he doesn't deserve to be in the conversation. Yeah, this article's coming out next week, but I can tell you now, I I think I'm giving Brad Hand like a 95% chance of making the all-star team. Francisco Lindor like 80, I can't remember if it was 85 or 90. He's His numbers suggest he's having one of the three best seasons among AL shortstops. And the dude's an ambassador for the week. Like he better be on the team. Yeah, um, I, I just can't see a scenario where he's not, unless no. he completely falls off. Santana's interesting though. Like there, are, there's a lot of competition there. He is having the second best season among AL first basemen offensively. Dan Vogelbach surprisingly is is having the best. Um, although I like he could be a DH too, right? And having the DH helps. So I I would think Santana will be on there. The dude's OPS is over 900. Again, it would be such a cool story. He comes back home. It's his first All-Star game. Like, that would be awesome. I think those are going to be the three who get in. I don't think Trevor Bauer is out of it. Um, I think he has a chance if he pitches well his next couple starts. Um, but... Depends on how yeah, many. Probably. Depends on how many ESPN writers are filling out the the All Star team. Um, and you mentioned, so you mentioned Brad Hand. Kind of bring this back full circle. We kind of started by talking about some of the trade scenarios that I have thought about for for weeks with him. Uh, a part of the intrigue about trading Brad Hand that I think exists is you always want to sell high as as high as you can. You want to whenever your it, I know not everyone likes to think of it like this, but whenever your asset is at peak value, it can get intriguing to think about what you could get for that guy on the, the trade market. It, it, even after the 2016 playoff run where Andrew Miller pitched like the, the angel of death, uh, reaping souls in the 2016 postseason, I thought about it at the, at the end of that and thought, man, 
shouldn't they turn around and trade him? You, you can't do it from a PR standpoint, but wow. What Man, could... you really were high when you were selling. <laughs> Wouldn't you want to be selling when a guy is at his peak value and Brad Hand is never going to be better than where he's at right now? Usually, never. yes, but it, it also depends on your, your team standing. Well, that's true, but it also depends on what you're getting back. Um, and that's the biggest part of this. It'll always be the biggest part of this. It's the obvious whenever anyone tells you, what would you do for this guy? Or would you trade this guy? And the, the next response is, what am I getting back? What's the return? And that'll always dictate what you do. As I said, even there's even a price tag for Francisco Lindor that eventually you would say yes to. It's never going to happen, but it exists. <laughs> there are scenarios where you could say yes. So I think it's fair to consider that. Even I, I think you should remove where the Indians are at in the standings, what they're doing, and still be able to evaluate trades that you think could benefit you or are better for your organization, period, that you shouldn't just turn away from. And I, we talked about that at length the last time we, we sat down into this podcast. But it's, it's still true this week, even after a really good week. I, I'm thinking uh, about him. I'm thinking about Bauer. And I'm thinking about scenarios where you could still trade them and still be competing. And I know everyone kind of wants to evaluate it as the team's playing well, so you should be willing to – hold on to your pieces and go all in and, and, and do ridiculous things when you're looking at a one game wild card. And it's true that if you get to the dance, anything can happen, but I'm still salivating at the thought of Brad hand being at peak value and at least looking around the league, seeing teams that need desperately need bullpen help. And then thinking to myself, okay, what would the return have to look like for me to give them up? Um, I mean, I'm with you. I'm, if if the return is good enough and the players you're getting back are close enough to the majors or in the majors, mm-hmm. and we're assuming they have many years of control and they're young, and then yeah, I, I mean, I I know the stance among our peers and the fan base is much more hesitant than we are. Um, I think I I think like the overriding stance on this is I'd have to be absolutely blown away to trade Brad Hand and even then I'm not positive I would do it I don't feel that way I think if you I mean I think if, you get, if this, you get fair value what you consider to be fair yeah, value but what I'm, does that look like I'm really I'm really considering it and of course it comes from two people that sit here and play fake baseball all day and think about this in these terms instead of thinking about it like a fan would think about it and i know a front office member in real life can't go about things the same way that we do in a video game but i mean aren't you doing the same things with your team aren't you considering trading guys away as you're still a good team why are you doing those things because you're looking at guys that you could acquire and have for six years of control maybe longer and half of those years are going to be at making league minimum value or league minimum money. Well, so here's the thing. You trade Bauer. I hate this trade proposal, even though I'm, I threw it out two weeks ago and we've talked about this and it's caught on. And, and I'm not saying I invented this. Everyone has, has said this, but like if they did Trevor Bauer for Clint Frazier, plus a couple other younger pieces, don't people think the Indians would pretty much be just as good moving forward in 2019? Well, the big key is you're getting back somebody that plugs in right now 
and right. improves another area of your roster. I mean, this is what we talked about all offseason. You're probably not that much worse in 2019 or 2020, and you're inconceivably better in 2021 and 2022 and 2023 because you've Clint Frazier instead of nothing and the other pieces you'd have to. So, right. uh, so the problem is so, with the Yankees, I don't think – I, I need something else pretty significant in addition to Frazier to make agreed. that work. Um, you look at their, their top prospect, uh, the outfielder who what is if Florio is in high A, I Correct. think the problem in I've, I've seen some mixed things. Most people are pretty have some pretty glowing reviews about him. But the problem with him being their top prospect is he's still probably two years away. Yeah, but you could flip him for something else. True. But now. I have to. I, I now have to be having those conversations too. I have to have a better understanding. And it, it. I think there are teams more than likely that are probably better, better trade partners than the Yankees just for that reason. And let, again, unless I'm getting something else pretty significant in addition to Frazier, then that could that could change that. But as I'm looking at other pitching needy teams, can I find somebody with? with pieces that are ready to step in right now that are better than Clint Frazier? Maybe. Well, I can tell you the, if the Indians trade Trevor Bauer, the Padres mm-hmm. will not let it happen until they have a chance to one up the best trade offer. Like they want Bauer. They've watched him all year. Um, they talked all winter. Like they, if Bauer gets traded, I think, the Padres are a strong possibility. I think the Yankees are a strong possibility. Houston makes a lot of sense. I just don't know if they will be willing. I mean, they've man, the Astros are loaded, and like they they called up Jordan Alvarez, who's like he's great. Then they're gonna get Springer. They get Springer and Altuve back. Um, someone else out or Correa's still out. Like their lineup's just nutty, and because of that, they have Kyle Tucker just. Sitting at AAA with his like 1200 OPS, just <laughs> wasting away. And yet, I don't know that, like, they, I don't know that they would trade him for, for Trevor Bauer. That would be a really interesting trade. Um, but now, and the Astros but now, have other pieces but, too. But now you have my attention. Yeah. Those, I mean, those are the sorts of names that you're going to have to start talking about to make it, if I'm again putting myself in a position of the Indians front office, to make it worth my while in the current state of things. That could change. Well, so, so here's here's the reason you have to trade Bauer now. You don't have to, but you you should because he is going to have so much more value when a team gets two postseason runs out of him Correct. than if you just trade him this winter. Um, the fact that he can pitch, he wants to pitch on three days rest every time. He is more than willing. He if if there's ever going to be a guy who throws seven innings in a game five and then needs to come back in game seven to pitch. That's your guy um, out of the bullpen. He, he's, he's the perfect guy to acquire at the trade deadline. So uh, you can probably get so much more for him now than you would six months from now. And uh, that's why, yeah. So you, you got to move him, but I, I still don't know. Like, Kyle Tucker's really good. That's a top 10 prospect in baseball. I don't know if you're going to get that for just one and a half years of Trevor Bauer. It depends on what, I mean, that's obviously one team. How badly do they want him? And what's the bidding like 
among other teams, how pitching needy is everybody else. Um, Do you like Hunter Renfro? As like a secondary piece? Uh, I mean, I, I between – we talked about Frazier. Between Clint Frazier and Renfro, I would probably put Frazier a little above him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Renfro's having a, a decent season for the Padres, but uh, see, I, I need, I would need something else a little bit more significant. Uh, I love their second base prospect, Luis Urias. Sure, I, but I, I don't. I just, it's kind of like the Tucker thing. I, I don't know that they're going to part with a prospect that good. Do they, okay, and, and I say, okay. I say prospect. He's he's major league ready sure, now. Sure, and and he'd be your second baseman for the next six years. Sure, It'd be perfect. Okay, so. We've established that we don't know because we're trying to think of this. You know, anyone can throw out trade proposals. We're trying to also consider from the other team's perspective where they consider it worth it. I, I guess the question that you have to ask yourself, um, and you don't go into negotiation telling the other team this, but you certainly have an idea of this when you're sitting down to talk trade uh, among your peers in your own front office. Do, do the Indians have to get that? to make the trade make sense. Do you have to get one of those top tier prospects? Um, or are you willing to, if they come away with, let's say they come away with Frazier and that's probably the most significant thing. And that, and that's the best thing you, you can get. And I keep saying Frazier because it's the name that everyone is just the most familiar with. If, if you get Frazier and then maybe some sort of, I don't know, long-term bullpen piece that, isn't projected to be a superstar in the bullpen, but looks like uh, a guy that's going to at least, you know, be capable of giving you outs for the next six years. Um, is that enough for you to entice you, no matter where the Indians are at in standings, to move Bauer? Do you think it has to be more? Uh, are you nervous about, as you said, in a year and a half, he could walk and you come away with nothing? I honestly think that would make me more inclined to trade Brad Hand. Like if you got if you traded Bauer and you got Tucker or Urias, if you just got some stud, maybe even a stud and a secondary piece, then I might be like, okay, well, I've patched up this lineup a little bit. Maybe I go trade for that phantom Tommy Fam guy who's out there who we've discussed many times. Who, you know, maybe there's some controllable second baseman or outfielder out there who's got like two years left in his contract and, and you trade, I don't know, Tyler Freeman for him, something like that. Say, um, what? <laughs> maybe you do that. Awesome. I don't know, man. You just throwing him away for eh, just, just an example. Um, then all of a sudden your lineup looks good. And then maybe it's like, you know what? I don't need to trade Brad hand. He's cost controlled. It's reasonable. Got him for two more years. But if you only if you if your Bauer return is not overwhelming, then I'm like, well, now I feel like I got to cash in on Brad Hand because I don't know if I'm going to be good enough in 2020. And I've got okay. young relievers who I think can can replace. OK, I, or come now, close to it. I, at first, I didn't get it. Now I get it. Now I get what you're saying. Um, does that make sense? No. It, yeah. And now it does. Um, the key is you, you have to maximize this opportunity because, yes, they failed to do that over the offseason. And we're seeing how it's haunting them and going to haunt them with, with Corey Kluber unless he gets that bone in his arm healed with fairy dust and returns to his Cy Young form. Um, 
this is this is the issue is is they're not all in on buying they're not all in on selling they have just a couple parts that they could move so you got to cash in on them you you have to make the most of it um or else your future is going to be worse off and your present is going to be just the status quo it's so weird because Brad hand in some ways there's a ticking clock because you'll you'll probably never have him at this peak um, ever again. So in some regard, you're like, man, if we move him now, we could get the most for him. Uh, but the other side of that is if, if you hold on to him, you still have him under control for two more years. Um, and it's not like it looks like he's going to get pitched into the ground like Andrew Miller or, or Cody Allen was. So maybe you feel good about those next two years actually still being really, really good Brad Hand. Um, and if the worst case scenario is you keep that guy who is right now is an elite back end arm for anybody, for any team in baseball, that I mean, that's a pretty good consolation prize. The problem is with Bauer is the, the, the sand in the hourglass is significant. Every single second that passes, um, as you said, you inch closer to that second chance to give a team to have him in a postseason run. And if you come back the next year, uh, into the off season. Yes, you'll have more teams that are probably willing to bid, but not they're just bidding for a year. It, there's a big difference between having a guy for two postseason runs compared to potentially one. And I feel like the pressure there's more pressure on that deal just because you're also up against the timing element of things uh, with Bauer than there is with Brad Hand. I, I could go into a Brad Hand negotiation feeling like free and easy and like know exactly what I want. And if I don't get it, fine. Screw you. I'm out. I'm going to hold on to this guy. With, with yeah, Bauer, more I, feel, I feel there is just so much more pressure to make that right move. Because if you don't pull the trigger and then say you don't make the playoffs this year and then you come back the next year and you hold on to him or maybe even you trade him and you think of all the things you might have passed on, it, it, that, those are the sorts of moves that could make you sick, just up at night, ready to hurl, thinking about all the missed opportunities. And that's why it's the Brad hand trade. Those proposals are fun because it's almost like a win-win for them. It should feel like a win-win. The, the Bauer ones are potentially maddening and are, 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 that's a very, very big decision that has to be made uh, within the next month. And that, that is terrifying to be in that sort of position. Yeah. I think the thing that, has everybody in a panic is is the word selling you know i, I don't well yeah we we dumb it need, down need too a much. better need a better uh, phrase yeah it's a lot more complex than that because because you you truly could trade trevor bauer and your team is better just because it's more balanced um and a lot of this has to do with the pitching depth and you're going to need guys to get healthy you're going to need clevenger to to get back to what he can do you're going to need kluber to get back to what he can do um but I, yeah, it's people get so hung up on that word, and it's like they're not doing this because they want to just punt the rest of the season and try again in a couple of years. That's that's not what this is. It's it's you know when we explained it all off season, saying it might be wise to move Kluber for some young bats, like everyone agrees with that stance now. It's like, you know, we didn't know he was going to have a 580 ERA and then break his arm, but we knew that this team probably needed offense and that they had some pitching depth. So here's where we are. And you know what? Let's 
remind people where that Bauer, the uh, hand for Mejia trade first came about. We pegged that from the beginning. <laughs> That's right. So if they yes. want to know who the Indians are going to wind up trading, just keep listening to our podcast. That's right. We know that a week before. Forget about all the wrong things that we've said about Leonis Martin being good and Jake Bowers being a joke. And who said that? I don't know who said that. Uh, that the Jan Gomes trade was stupid. Uh, forget anything uh, negative we've ever said. Those things never happen. Just hold on to all the things that we told you that actually came to fruition. Uh, I, I actually was reminded of something I said in spring training that I feel like is coming true now. I said that the offense, I feel better about it two months from now than I do initially right now. And I, I we were talking about young players and uh, Oscar Mercado was kind of the, in the middle of that. And I said, I feel better about the potential of this offense once they move some of the veterans out of here in two to three months than where they're at right now. And that has almost come to fruition. So I'll pat myself on the back a little bit for that, even though it's probably not exactly what I meant, but I'm going to pretend like this is exactly what I meant. Yeah. I mean, anything's better than watching Eric statements, but oh boy, well, you mentioned selling, we're going to do some selling ourselves, but after a quick word from our sponsors, it is time for the random Indian of the day. And that's coming up after this. All right, Zach. I was given a random Indian of the day, but I think, I feel like we might have done this one in the past. So uh, I'm going to hold Shane on. Shane Spencer. It's not Shane Spencer. I'm going to hold on to this submission that I got on Twitter and I, I might bring it back in a few weeks when I try to remember whether or not we have officially done this guy or not. So uh, I do appreciate anybody that has sent uh, suggestions for random Indian of the day on Twitter or elsewhere. Uh, I read them all. I see them all. I stash them away potentially for later, but it's not going to be this week. We have a different one this week. Zach, what do you got? All right. This guy ended his career with the Indians. Uh, his final season, 2009. 2009. Okay. He is a position player, a very versatile position player. With the Indians, he played second base and third base. Uh, he was 37 years old. 2009. Jamie Carroll. No. Uh, he played for the Indians only in April that year. He signed with them in February. He only appeared in seven games. Oh, so good boy. luck here. <laughs> Thanks, man. However... He played 13 years in the majors, seven different teams. And he played second and third. Did he play anywhere else throughout his career? Oh, yeah. Shortstop, a little bit of first base. Oh, God. Oh. Designated hitter for some stupid Predominantly, reason. what was he? Uh, I guess second baseman. Okay. But u- utility guy. All right. Oh, boy. 2009 season. That was uh, one to remember. I can't remember anything about the 2009 season. Well, this guy went three for 23 in his seven games. That's going to help me a lot. 341 OPS, a negative eight OPS plus. If he were around Isn't it weird when your OPS plus is negative? That's insane. Do the plus and minus cancel out? 
when yeah if you have two negatives that makes a positive i think that's i remember that from math class oh man i mean this guy it sounds like this guy would have been fit to pinch it for kevin plawecki if i've ever heard it (laughs) he played for the braves devil rays white Sox, royals red Sox, royals again brewers and indians Oh, man. Who did he spend most time with? Uh, <laughs> I guess the White Sox, but the Royals and the Braves are very close. Oh, I have I have a guess, but I, it's like on the tip of my tongue, and I can't remember who or what his name was. Uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't got it. He wore number four with the Indians. Number four. How did this guy get such a low number? Oh man, I don't know. I'm gonna do an oral his an oral history of his two weeks with the Indians. God, why? Why? It came three base hits came out of it. He had a three game hitting streak at one point. Oh God! Do you give up? I give up. Tony Graffanino. That's who I was... Damn it. That's the name that I couldn't think of, but that's the career I was thinking of. They had uh. Graffanino, Jamie Carroll, Mark DeRosa, Luis Valbuena, all on the same team, and Josh Barfield. That's like... Utility Man Central. Yikes. Graffanino. It was the Devil Rays things. That's I was thinking of him with the Devil Rays and I could not remember what the hell his name was. Man. I'm so I'm gonna be upset about that for a while. I can't believe you couldn't remember the guy who played seven games for the Indians <laughs> ten years ago. Isn't it sad that not knowing that is gonna cause me more grief than like actually something that actually matters in life? Well, you probably feel like Ty Van Berkeley and Victor Rodriguez do. I have not changed anything in years. Uh, any parting words for our listeners this week? Uh, no, I just always remember, never send Tom Hamilton a group text. <laughs> do I want to know more? I just, he hates them. Okay. He yelled at Rosie. Okay. During a game. All right. Fair enough. But you can call him, and his phone is always on loud, so it will ring during a broadcast. Well, you're not going to hear him over his voice anyways. How many home run calls throughout the summer do you hear in the press box? And I I can – Well, the best is when – I I can at least recall 15 to 20 times I can hear a home run call from five booths away as you're sitting in the press box. The best is when you're on the road because the stadium's quiet. Sure. 
it's, it's the visiting team hitting a home run. So you can, especially when you're on the road and it's like a day game and there's no crowd. Oh my God. It's, it's <laughs> you can hear him from the highway down the street. Like it's, it's unbelievable. Uh, all right. Well, thank you everybody that has uh, stuck with us and we we'll back next week with an all new Selby's Godcast for Zach Meisel. I'm Andre Knott. We're out of here. <laughs>